Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Well, go back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking you to live in the episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the Herald and the Quest, the past. In the last few episodes, our party have made it to the land of immortals. They have been traveling around and seeing the sights and doing the things, including fighting giant tree monsters, seeing weird pig monsters off in the darkness, meeting a tiger who may have been a friend but doesn't seem like it, and befriending a couple of uh, strange Eldrin folks in their home in a cute little cottage, a nice little Airbnb, immortal B&B. Um, but at this point, the party, well on their way to the spire, are still in the cottage of Lindia and Tharuvi, the uh, Eldrin who have welcomed them warmly to their strange little hostel here with all the trappings of, I guess, a thousand different owners. Um, but yeah, as uh, the morning comes with the, the break of winter and the onset of spring, snow and ice begin to break away. And you see the uh, first rays of warm light come from the uh, stars above as twilight rules here. Um, and I guess the party are free to get up and do their business. Yeah, so what does everybody do? goes about his normal morning routine. And I will say, after having slept here and spent the night here, Norhill and Anton definitely feel that strange twinge pushing them before making Norhill a bit more reckless and curious and Anton a little bit more uh, short with his patience and a little bit more uh, <laughs> oddy and, I guess, I don't know, kind of grouchy. You feel it come in almost like like a, a headache. Like there's like impulsivity that kind of pervades your sensibilities. That like, it's still you, but you just feel this like weird extra push behind everything that you say and you do this morning. Once you wake up and start to like feel part of your own psyche and your own skin, you just feel like something has put you into a weird bouncier mood. And in the case of Anton, puts you into a way less patient mood than usual. Uh, so Norhill like whistles as he does his like morning stretches. Everybody else looks up from the bed sheets and just looks terrified at whoever's getting Norhill's clothing on. Like, oh god, it's another <laughs> doppelganger. <laughs> Norhill can't whistle. Oh no, he's absolutely well. Hold on. Yeah, he's pretty good. You know, not like a bard level skill, but he's a fairly average whistler. 
Oh, that's kind of sad. Nobody's ever heard him whistle before. And then now he's good at it. Which kind of makes you wonder if he whistles when he's alone. Oh. But okay. Um, and as morning comes, the uh our our hosts have brought to you guys a small platter of some dried sausages as well as some eggs that they've made up for you guys and brought them in on plates with some hard cheese and some bread. And Lindia presents these on small plates for you guys with a gracious smile. And she says, Theruvi has something very important to show you this morning. I promised I wouldn't ruin the surprise, but surprises suck. Gifts are better. Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. Sorry. And she just kind of scurries out of the room and Theruvi approaches wearing what could only be described as like a ranger's garb. And as he approaches and walks in with his leathers and everything on, he looks to both Anton and to Klika and says, uh, I have thought much of what you've said. And it's spurned strange dreams in me. What you've said before about the one you call the Herald of Steel. Something doesn't feel right. And I've noticed that with every day passing, the animals of this land seem more aggressive and hostile as if this realm itself is strangely pulling inward. I have found some gifts with inside this cabin, and I figure they may benefit you more. The realms here are treacherous, and so the best that I can do for you, the most I can offer is expedience. Perhaps I can help your journey by making it shorter. I know of a tree... And I know of a parcel. Together, we may be able to carve off a couple of weeks, if not a month of your trip, if you're really trying to walk to the spire. Again, I can't really guarantee that it's going to help you all that much. But to die on whatever quest has brought you to this far-off strange land, to die doing so would just it would break my heart. So the best I can do is aid, and I will do so. All I can ask is that in return, you return home at some point, and perhaps plant a tree in Quarrydale. If that is truly my homeland, perhaps I will find the tree again here someday. Klico pretends like she understood any of that. You didn't use your ability? <laughs> Not the crack of dawn, no. <laughs> you never know what each day could hold. I love so then Anton's the only one who hears it, but Anton's just like doing the hand wave thing, like, all right, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yep, 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 let's go. The click is just looking back and forth like, yeah, I'll just kind of copy Anton's general vibe. Yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> So then he steps out and lets you guys get ready and eat your meals. And Anton turns to the rest of the party, having been apparently the only one who heard any of the instructions or any of the notes. We're certainly not in a position to deny any help. So we should take whatever is offered. So um, does and, Anton uh, get uh, ready uh, in any play. different way? Oh, sorry. The, pl the planting of a simple tree is the least taxing cost we've had to pay this entire journey. 
until the party forget about it and he curses you, traps you within a different tree. <laughs> but um, um Ronnie, does Anton get ready in any different kind of way because of the uh, strange curse of this land? I can... Well, I would say the first thing Anton does is besides his own pack, He'll start aggressively packing everyone else's bags. We're getting the heck out of here. That is like the most passive-aggressive thing you could possibly do. I hadn't even thought of that option. But that does feel like what new Anton might do. And I feel like everybody picks up on that very quickly. Um, But yeah. Yeah, I can never imagine Anton touching someone else's things in general. Nope. Which is why even when I heard it, I felt anxiety. I'm like, even just thinking about Anton angrily packing other people's bags. Like, Anton, it's not cold out anymore. Please stop aggressively packing my clothing. But, um, angrily folding socks. Um, okay, so with that, uh, he comes back to the room about 10-15 minutes later and collects everybody's plates from breakfast. And he guides you guys outside the door once you're all ready to go. So, um, I guess the question is... Wakes up the tiger. Yeah, I was going to say, is the uh, party going to continue to bring the tiger with you? If the tiger wants to come, the tiger can come. Yeah, Click is sitting on its back backwards. It's worked so far. The official official writer stance. So, with that... um, uh, Theruvi leads you guys outside of the cabin after he kisses his his lover goodbye and wanders outside the for outside of the farm back into the forest. And for the next few hours, he roams out here every once in a while, stopping, and you guys can hear certain animals rushing off in the distance in the brush and whatever. As spring is slowly becoming summer, um, as the leaves begin to grow out again, he approaches at about noontime this real like behemoth of an oak tree. And this oak tree has in its roots at the base sort of a large indentation, almost a shape like a door. And he pulls out of his pocket a single leaf that's like pure gold. And he leans over to Anton as he recognizes Anton's the only person who's heard him throughout the whole trip. And he says, I don't think that these leaves are easy to come by. But knowing anything of this kind of magic, I think this may allow you to step where you need to go. Because I have been to the Bastion. I I may be able to help guide the way of the tree. But you all will have to go through it without me. So, I wish you all the best of luck. And if you can't find your way home, you can at least come back to mine. And he gives you a solemn nod. And he puts his hand on your shoulder and he puts the leaf against the base of the tree and the roots of the tree shred and separate almost kind of like a tent flap pulling aside to make a small triangle. And with that, it's just like a, a just an open black darkness within. And he just sort of aims a guiding hand and points for everybody to walk in. And just shrugs and goes right inside. Shove the guy out of the way. <laughs> um, and, okay. well, wait, friendly bow. Is he's planting a tree and 
an emerald. Is he gonna get like a seed or something, or is it like they're like a preference of tree? No, he just has something that. Ask him if he remembers what his name used to be. It's it's about the gesture, right? You know, oh yeah, somebody remembers me. That's nice. Well, I, I guess he starts going through the doorway. And he pauses. He turns to him and he says, "In what name shall we name this tree for you?" And then he looks back to you, and in a way that kind of breaks his usual jubilant and happy expressions on his face, a single tear rolls down his cheek, and he says, "Perhaps you can plant the tree in the name of all that is good and well." For I have not known my own name since my own passing, and I am afraid I never will. But my identity is not as important as my cause, and if helping you furthers any cause of good, then that's good enough for me. Plant the tree in any name you'd like, as long as you do so with a happy heart and a kind hand. He gives a nod. And I'm just curious, can Anson tell that his he's experiencing like his personality changes, or is it kind of above him right now? Like he's not really conscious of it. I imagine. I imagine Anton catches himself in the same way that Norhill does. Like after he whistles and feels kind of embarrassed by it after he does it, it's like you guys almost let your guard down and let a weird side of your personality leak out. But after you do it, you're like aware of it, but it doesn't bother you as much as you might think it might. Interesting. Okay. He thinks about that. Tries to think about why he's so angry. Gives him a shake his hand. Okay. Smile. And so with that, back into the darkness of the tree. Okay. And as every one of you walks in one by one, you feel the pressure of like walking into into the roots, as if you're like squeezing in between paper thin gaps in between the roots, and feel your body like play-doh roller squeeze your entire body through these roots and pulled out the other side as you guys crawl out of the undergrowth of um, a, a smaller elm tree somewhere far, far away. And the way you can tell that it's far, far away is you're pretty much out in the plains. Um, you can tell there's forests around you, but overall, it's kind of impossible to tell where you are for certain. But as you guys all stand up, brush yourselves off from all the dirt and debris and everything, you look around, and as you turn around, um, you see a gigantic crystalline spire, like some sort of giant, like like Empire State Building, just like cranking out of the ground, and it's glowing. And as you start to look at it, you recognize that it seems to hum in a very strange sort of way that you only notice when you focus on it, as if trying to like listen into a secondary tone that doesn't really exist to your typical hearing. And I mention this humming noise specifically because. Every one of you, once you notice it, are taken aback to being on the wave wraith and flying with, you know, Jarzag at the helm there, flying and hearing the tower itself humming and vibrating in the Amroth that you all know. And so as you see what appears to be the spire in the distance, um, it seems like it's only a few hours of walking away before you start to reach like the outskirts of the spire and the civilization sprung up around it. So what would you guys like to do? And as we, I assume, walk towards the spire, uh, Norhill's going to sing a little marching song uh, for the party. 
and it is very much a marching song, not becoming of an officer. Norhill, how come you never taught us this marching song before? Uh, he stops and thinks, thinks about it and says, because it doesn't become an officer. <clears throat> anyway. Oh, Klika liked it. Nope. With that, as the party uh, continue walking in the direction of this, um, strange spire for an hour or two. You guys see along the path here, along something of a, a simple road, um, small little outcroppings of homes and the occasional little village. And these villages also look very similar to the, the cottages you had seen before, though some of them seem to be a bit more grandiose with large stone pillars and marble pillars and statues and whatnot constructed with impossible intricate detail that goes to show that somebody cares about some element of where they are. But as you guys approach in the final few steps, the bastion of the one, the city of the spire, you guys can see these large marble stone walls surrounding the entire city in a ring. And as you approach one of the gates following this road, you can tell that plenty of those strange Eladrin people are walking in and out around and up down the roads here. As you guys have seemed to have approached something of like a capital city. These people all seem to be walking very lackadaisically, even the people with carts, even the people with horses and mules pulling them like it. Nobody seems to be in any particular rush and people of all different kinds of hair colors and eye colors and tones ranging from the impossible to the natural just seem to walk back and forth all around. And um, yeah, it just seems like this is like sort of like an open market outside the gates, but the party uh, are kind of in a weird position. What would you like to do? Are there any sign of like uh, guards or heralds or yeah, anybody there's... that we should? Yeah, there's guards at the gate at the outermost wall that you could approach if you'd like to. Yeah, Norhill will uh, sort of tentatively approach uh, the guards outside the gate. Okay. And um, as you do, the guards look to you with a strange look on their face as if like, you know, as if like a dog just walked up to them and ordered a pizza. Like you just like they just are so baffled by each of the members of this party approaching, except for the tiger. And as they do uh, um, look back and forth across all of you, one of the guards looks at Klika on tiger back backwards and recognizes the back of her head. Um, I think kidding, she but... probably found like a pretty comfortable way to just lay down on the tiger back. So that's what she's just been laying down, looking at the sky with her, like her head resting on the tiger's head. I doubt it. But with that, um, the guards uh, sort of point to, to Klika strangely sitting, laying on a tiger back and, um, one of them speaks in that celestial tongue again towards Klika. Anton recognizes that they're saying, who are you and what is your business here in the city? Klika jostles up. Apparently we're near people who are speaking to us. Uh, and Norhill just asks Anton, would you translate? Uh, 
they've asked what our business in the city is. Uh, so Norhill adopts the most formal possible uh, bow that a dwarf that a dwarf could possibly adopt uh, to show absolute deference to another person. Um, and uh, he says, "We are travelers come from afar, and we would beg an audience with the four within the bastion." One of the guards that's gathered here. Slackjawed kind of turns back and forth, steps forward, and he speaks in the dwarvish tongue with perfect, like, uh, grammar and perfect setup here. And he says, It's been a long time since I've heard the tongue of my past life. On what decree do you think you could meet with the four? Our lands are in grave danger, uh, and we would seek audience and aid from the four. I come and I come not without proper introductions, uh, for I I bring. What was Klika's like full crazy dragon name? Thralius. I come with Klika Thralius, who has been named Child of Destiny. Klika waves. Upside down, backwards on the dagger. Yeah. Well, I have a Doctor Seuss novel, but anyway. And the one who was originally magnetized towards Kalika points again and says, in a celestial, I suppose, leans in and says something. Um, Anton understands that this guy says something about how this one is different and they need to bring this one to the to the fore. I mean, and the Kalika would have activated her like once a day once she realized we were like outside the gate. So, okay. Um, and at this point, seeing everybody talking back and forth, one of the guards kind of chimes in in Orkish and just says, I don't feel like anybody will ever understand my language. And I feel so alone. Jarzak's too busy mm-hmm. picking his nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so at this point, um the guard who had that magnetism before, the one who was speaking Dwarvish now steps forward and says, we will bring you in, but I think we have different matters we need to attend to. This one. And they point to Klika, and a few more guards kind of jostle in from back behind the, the guard set up here. Um, and they come walking over, wearing very, very fancy looking, almost like mithril styled, like white silver armor. And each of them armed with spears with glowing crystalline tips. And they um, sort of not really aiming them at you, but just definitely showing that they're the only armed citizens in the city. And they sort of like approach Klika and say, it is required that you go to the Bastion of the One. Um... But my friends are coming too, right? Out of all, they speak amongst each other in hushed tones for a second, and the Dwarvish one says, it would be foolish to separate you from your council, from your party, and your friends. Okay, yeah. Klika doesn't have any problem going to the um, spire. And with that, they just kind of all turn tail and a small entourage of them lead you and the party through the streets of the Bastion of the One. And as you guys enter here, you realize that this crystal has shards that kind of erupt from the ground all around. 
And some places have built their businesses on top of these bits of crystal fragment, under them, around them, built forms with the crystal kind of jutting through it. But it's like this city is bustling and it is really well built up with an emergent commerce that rivals any major city you guys have ever seen, if not more. Again, the colorful nature of all of the different Eldrin within the city is pretty well on display. And as you guys are walking by, you see the somber, you see the jubilant, you see the angry, you see like a full range and plethora of emotions on the people even passing by that just rivals something of a dramatic theatrical performance as these people are almost like too dramatic even for like like the theater like it's just so explosive on anybody nobody's just laughing they are falling on the ground and cracking up nobody's everyone's just, just so fucking extra it's just um, the city of extra and yet yeah. nobody has anywhere better to be as you realize like nobody in shops is buying anything nobody at the guild hall is really building anything like everybody's just kind of hanging out perpetually just fucking around and just chit-chatting with each other and it's a weird, surreal experience as you guys all feel like this strange sense that like this city needs to do shit in order to survive, right? And it sort of dawns on each and every one of you at different points as the idea kind of ping-pongs around between each of you that it's the mortality of your races that keeps you on this like march towards progress and march towards industry that keeps you all sort of like, you know, with your nose to the grind. But coming into a place like this, where it seems like time is a weird, irrelevant cause and concept, these people aren't held back by deadlines. They're just kind of here doing whatever fancy and whimsy guides them. Again, as you see people just loafing about in like their underpants, just doing nothing. And it's just this very weird, strange experience as you guys realize how strange this is, how like barbaric it seems at times, and how alien the concept really is. That in a city... It behaves nothing at all like any city you've ever seen, where the industry is just loafing and the prime export is drama. It's just over the top, right? But eventually you guys reach an alabaster sort of marble lined uh, series of pillars that altogether make something of like a, uh, uh, a domed sort of palace, I guess I'd call it, uh, at the base of the spire. And the spire, now that you're this close to the actual form of it, is so impossibly huge that looking up requires you to, like, crane your neck completely or to lay on the back of a tiger and look up. Um, Done. Nice. <laughs> but as you guys approach specific. that palace... What? I said that's strangely specific. You know, I mean, I gotta be specific. Um, but at this point, the party reached the outside of the palace here. And some of the guards head in, circle around you and keeping you in tow. Um, but once the guards return after about 10, 15 minutes, the one who spoke Dwarvish before, he comes back and says, the four await. This business cannot wait. Please follow me. And they have a very strange and urgent look on their faces as they lead you guys down long, expansive, like open foyer kind of area where it's just pillars and just marble floors. And it just extends like a freakish distance before ending in something of like a reverse dome or almost in like a Coliseum-esque like bowl. It goes into the center here and they guide you down into the center of this bowl. Um, and the party 
stand at the bottom of this with the white marble stairs leading down to a white marble flooring um, about 30 feet in a circle around. Um, but as you look up at each of the four corners, you can tell that there's a separate sort of uh, podium set up. And as you guys wait down here, the sounds of footsteps echo down the hall and you can hear somber footsteps, very heavy stomping footsteps. And somebody appears to be tap dancing and like kind of gliding down to their position as four of the most impossibly beautiful beings you've ever seen assume the places at each of the four podiums. And as they do, you can tell by the looks on their faces that these people are sort of like prime renditions of the four seasons you guys have been prisoner of as being a, you know, uh, sojourn in the, um, the land of the immortals. And so with that, the four of them all stand there and look down at you. And one of them, blonde with like golden sunray colored hair, wearing golden armor over white robes, sort of shouts down at you guys with a brutal and aggressive demeanor. And he says, as Lord Bond, speaker of the four, what is the reason for calling council with us? Uh... He says so in the common tongue. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> hi, hi, I'm Kleeka. We, um, we did want to meet you, but also we're told we had to come here. So it, it's a bit half and half on who called who to council. Lord Bont seems to like slam his fist down on his podium and you see the stone well, crack under his fists and geez. he says, do not tell me my business of who calls what meetings. I am at every meeting I intend to be and I am wherever I intend to be when I am there. And <laughs> across from, from him, one of them kind of giggles a little bit and this one is a very small, petite little figure that barely reaches over the podium and just kind of giggles and the, uh, the, uh, Lord Bont seems to shout in her direction and says, Lord, oh, sorry, he says, Lady Jonala, he says, you will be silent when I am speaking. It is of my decree. And he slams the table again with a crack. And she just cracks up a little bit louder. You hear a deep exhale of sort of exasperated sigh come from the other side of the four. And you see one of these individuals wearing light blues, grays, and greens, and silvers, just kind of like elbow on the podium, barely keeping themselves afloat, and just sighs like as loud as humanly possible. And you feel almost like a, a depressive wave of air roll down into the center with you guys, and says, Lord Shalir speaking, can we get this moving along? I'm very tired. And so with that, um, speaking above the rest, um, a woman wearing sort of all autumnal colors says, Lady Cresbell speaking, I think it is of best interest that I take over this meeting. Do we all agree? And all the voices kind of chime in, except for Lord Bond, who just shouts. He doesn't say yes. He just, bah. Um, But at this point, um, she leans in and says, it is true once we heard we were in the presence of a child of destiny, it seemed important that we pull you in here. But seeing that your needs were instead to come to us first before you, you know, we came to you, I think it's only fair that you tell us what has brought you here. So please, by all means. Well, um, 
Klika and her friends are here because we need your help. There seems to be someone on our plane who is trying to build a spire much like this one. And we're afraid that if he finishes his work, something terrible will happen. You hear a single sigh, a giggle, and somebody yells outrageous as they slam their podium again. And Lady Cresbell again leads in warmly and says, I understand what you're saying. And I recognize you really truly must be afraid. But you have nothing to worry about. I assure you, all of your fears are irrational at this point. Nothing could happen to the bastion. Nothing could happen to the spire that we call our home and our beacon. I promise. Any uh, issues that happen will be temporary, and they'll only be in your plane of existence. Time but, will go on, and but, all will be well. It, what will happen in our plane? I guess the same thing that happens in your plane every time something like this happens. Devastation, destruction, death, and then the cycle of life pervades. Someone comes, fights this evil, and all is made well again. This is the way of the land of mortals, is it not? Have you no historian among your party? Surely this is not news to you. Great evils rise. Great evils, great evils fall. Law and chaos fight endlessly. Evil and good constantly ends with one another. This is the way of your people. But this, Surely this... you know this. This evil came from your plane to ours. Don't you bear some responsibility for that? No. No evil from our plane has come to your plane. And if it did, it surely is nothing that we have ever heard of or seen. And what is this creature which our greatest sages can only recognize as an, as an immortal that calls itself the Herald of Steel? That one of them kind of gasps a little bit and Lord Bont chimes in and he says, I have lost many great immortals over time as they seem to fade into obscurity in the darkness as the stars separate and divide. I believe you speak of Galtir the immortal of metals, smithing and crafting of sorts. Is this who you speak of? That is a name we have heard recently. We That's... only know that this creature calls itself the Herald of Steel. Galtier is also another name for Moradin. I, if, I'm it? Re I, if I'm remembering right, yeah. Oh, God damn it. Now it's canon. What the fuck? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, no, no, Norville Gals would know whether or not that's true. No, I mean Moradin himself is his own immortal. It's just Galtier and him are very close. They just resemble much of the same star structures. 
So it's like they're just sort of two sides of the same coin, as it were. There's a lot of the same DNA. You know what I mean? Mm. But um, yeah, with that, the uh, the sort of uh, the depressed Shalir speaks up and says, is this really what you came here to talk about, that you're scared of an oppressor? I feel like that's not that big of a deal. We came here because this oppressor is an existential threat to the very existence of our plane and our people. And I think you ought to be concerned as well. The Herald of Seal's goal is nothing less but to wipe out anything that would call itself a leader or a master. Uh, from uh, the lowliest town mayor uh, of our plane to the immortals themselves. With that, Lady Jonala begins to crack up from behind her podium, again, not having said a word since she's been here, and instead just laughs aloud. Lord Bont joins in in the laughter with raucous thunderclaps of laughs behind him, and he finally stops her a moment and says, I would like to see any of these petty beings attempt to challenge any of my men, let alone the immortals themselves. Forgive my words, but you sound like fools. Well, he already... But it's, not, it's not your fault. I think as it's been made clear to you all, it's not your fault that your scope is so small, living in a land such as yours and being so busy with your day-to-day. I genuinely feel sorry for you all. But I promise you, in a thousand years' time, people will forget the name of this Herald of Steel, as it were. I'm sure of it. You can rest easy knowing that your ancestors probably dealt with something similar, and all the kin that follow from you will also deal with something similar. Just the way of your people. Again, I think we went over that. Um, it seems like he has already fought and off or severed his ties to Valakath. And if he was able to do it to one immortal, why wouldn't he be able to do it to all of them? Lady Lady Cresbell at the mention of Valakath in this whole ordeal seems to kind of like hold up a hand and she says, what has Valakath done? What hasn't he done? <laughs> He's a bad man. Well, like, he caused like a global war and he made Jarzak's life really difficult for a while. Like, just look at him. <laughs> Jarzak just, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> just pale and skeletal. Like, he used to Valakath, be an elf. Uh, Valakath had one of its aspects guarding the portal that brought the Herald of Steel into our realm aspect of who so here it was and with that they all kind of look disgusted and look back and forth at one another and they say be this as it may failure is a fool and failure is weak i'm sure any group of adventurers probably could have disposed of this aspect just fine and yet it's proof that immortals are involved in this debacle. Perhaps, but the immortals do get bored in the land of, of the land of mortals is, is sort of a, you know, 
their own creation of sorts. This reflection is something that they all call something of their own project. It's a reflection of their own creation. To well, say that they wouldn't take part in that place is just foolish. How will they feel when they're severed from it completely? That wouldn't happen. It It's happening now. And then Lord Bond says, this is madness, and I refuse to listen to any more of this drivel. If these people truly believe this is the case, then I guess it's, I don't know. It's a shame to see what has happened to this key. What? And then Cresbell just gives a, a very ugly and violent look over at Lord Bond. <clears throat> a single giggle comes out from Janala, and Shalir says, did they really not figure it out yet? Okay. And Shalir just kind of shifts weight and puts his head on the on the other palm, resting upon the podium. <clears throat> and Lord Bond says, well, frankly, it's a shame to see what one of the keys to our realm has done. The fact that fate has brought you back here in such a state. Look at you. Speaking conspiracies and madness, the destruction of the spire. This is why keys should be only of purest blood. And those dragons had no business operating in that fashion. And with that, Cresbell again leans forward and says, Lord Bont, that is enough. And with that, what? he says, no, listen to her. She's blubbering and babbling even as I speak. This is not the noble blood we need to be guarding our realm. And instead, look at this thing. And points down at Klika with an, a look of disdain and disgust. What do you mean? What? Klika's a key? Now to what? Bont rolls his eyes very dramatically and Shalir sighs. Janala again giggles and Kresbel leans in as sort of the only voice of reason in the room at this point <clears throat> and says look this was why we wanted you to come here. We're sorry that we can't help you with all the things that you're concerned with but it is your duty to stay here now that you're here and we are glad that you have found your way back. You are a key to this realm. And you belong here. Has this not been made apparent to you? How on earth would a goblin of your sort have ever found their way to such a place? I don't even know the first thing about whoever you think you are, whatever name you think you have. But do you really think that any of the quests and adventures that would have taken you this far would have just happened? That coincidences would have brought you this far? No, I'm afraid you are nothing more than an object created by this realm to return to this realm. You are a key. And unfortunately, as my <clears throat> fellow council member has so rudely stated, the dragons who we entrusted with your creation have failed us. And they failed us by working with the Tome Guard. We thought that in times where maybe trouble was on the rise, we could trust them and perhaps create a failsafe to protect ourselves and protect you. All of you. But clearly we were stupid for having such a thought. Again, 
as much as I don't want to agree with Lord Bont on this, look at you. Your form is weak. And even with all the gifts that being an immortal would give somebody like you, what have you really done? You... You... You don't get to call Kleeka weak. That's... I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have your strengths. Again, being born with blood that belongs to this immortal realm, it's going to give you plenty of gifts. Magic is woven into your blood. Surely this is the case? Yes? Yes. Klinka knows magics. But Klinka and her friends have sacrificed a lot to get to this point, to get where we are now. To say that it was simply meant to happen, that's not fair to any of them. That's not fair to Klika. Well, I'm afraid the only people you can be mad at about that are the Tome Guard and your own parents for thinking this was a good idea. What does that mean? What to go what into you... the to go into this matter is something beyond our means. It is something beyond the needs of this council and this court. But first and foremost. As having immortal blood, you are welcome to stay here, and I highly, highly recommend you do stay in the land of the immortals. I highly recommend you send your friends home where they may go and they may recover from having been part of whatever adventures you have brought them on. Again, you think of what Valaketh has done to your friend, but think about all the repercussions of being around you. Like, Think about what that's done to them. You have to understand that you were never meant to stay in the realm of mortals. You were meant to be amongst us. And your blood will always find its way back to here, whether you like it or not. The magnetism of your blood to this realm is enough to even pull the strings of fate and weave destiny. Look at yourself. You... A goblin, a dwarf, a half-orc, and a human? Bound here in such strange ways? I wouldn't be surprised if you've all suffered great pains to be here. Destiny being torn and fate being pulled hard, like what happened with your bloodline? Well, in such a short span of time, like of, as of your lifetime, I mean, it doesn't happen simply and quietly. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody had lost their entire family in order to help you on your way. You can't... Being being blessed by starlight makes you bound by constellation, and every single one of these people here is probably close to your star sign. And the fact that they're here is nothing more than being pulled on some sort of perverse lottery. And the fact that they've all lost so much was merely preparation so that they wouldn't have anything to keep them from joining you. No, Fate you... does not care. Fate does not have any feelings on this matter. And frankly, Clica Torelius, if that is your name, if that is a name you go by, if you return home, you will kill each and every one of them as your blood brings you back. And if not, you will kill anyone who joins you. Because even being around you and remaining there will constantly push your fate into strife and will constantly kill those around you. Again, mm. he turns to Norhill and she extends a hand and says, what have you lost? Uh, 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 Norhill looks, up, uh, looks at her dead in the eye and says, 
nothing that I wouldn't sacrifice a thousand times more. And with that, she just kind of shakes her head and she says, again, the mortals are foolish and they have no idea of, of what is really afoot here. You only the, have the so normal, much like, time. Not like slams the hammer side of the hook hammer uh, down uh, on the floor so that like echoes uh, up the bowl and says, I will not uh, stand here uh, be belittled and condescended to. And with that, they say, we mean don't no disrespect. I apologize. No, you may no, you may stand uh, high uh, high above us uh, uh, as you do. Uh, wash your hands of any responsibility that you have to at least look into the matters that we bring to your attention and w- wave it away. With mere, it is what it is. Frankly, the land of mortals is a reflection an imperfect recreation of what exists here. Nothing in your home realm will ever stand the test of time, and nothing will ever be perfect. Unfortunate as it is, it is what it is. There will always be pain, there will always be strife, and there will always be the damnation of those who try. And this is why, Klika, child of destiny as you've been called, you will always come back here. And this is why, for the sake of everyone around you and everybody you've learned to care for, you must leave them alone and be amongst people who are like you. You must end the dissonance of your existence and return here. Your mother abandoned you, and she left you in the hands of the Tome Guard. Okay? The only place you could possibly call home is here. Your blood belongs here. Okay? I am saying this in any way I can to help you and your friends who have graciously traveled far to come to this place, do everyone a favor, leave her here where she belongs. It is the only place she has ever belonged. Kliga looks up and I think yeah, she dimensionors up first to uh, Lady Crespel's podium and says, So, the loss of the halls of silver and steel. And then she dimensionors over to uh, Shalir and Jarzak's betrayal of his brother, his exile, his servitude to Valakath and she dimension doors over to Lady uh, Jonala the burning of Glory Wake and then she dimension doors right in front of Lord Bont and the Herald of Steel all of this was to bring Kleeka here all that loss, all those people to bring Kleeka here for this? Lady Cresbell interrupts and says, plenty of factors work outside of your control and work outside of the control of fate. 
I'm not saying that whoever this Herald of Steel figure is, is doing what they do because of you. I'm just saying that whatever it is that brought all of your friends to you was not coincidence. Anything could have brought them to you, but fate made it so. I don't think you're responsible for genocide. I don't think you're responsible for any of this. But to return home is reckless. I can see the pain in your expression and I see the pain in your, in your eyes. But you need to understand that so long as you stay away from where you were made to be, there will always be dissonance and fate and destiny will try their hardest to return you home even at the cost of those you may call your friends. And what but, purpose does Kleeka serve now that she's here? Unfortunately, well, and with that, Shalir kind of leans in and says, is nobody going to just say it? You're obsolete. And Lord Bont chimes in and says, the Tome Guard had a project they were trying to do alongside dragons, in order to, well, let's just say they were trying to perfect planar travel. You were of a certain blood that you could travel comfortably between these realms. You were created by these dragons to have magical blood from the one, and we were to train you to do this effortlessly in case we ever needed it. But you were an object. You always were and you were never made to have feelings or friends beyond the ones you would have here. You were to be trained to operate. But for some reason, the Tome Guard did not agree, and they canceled the project. And for that reason... For some reason... The Tome Guard saw the horror of what you planned to do. What we planned to do? It was the suggestion of her parents members of the Tome Guard who are willing to put their own child through these kinds of trials and tribulations. Why are we being portrayed as the monsters here? Because you had the power to do something about it. What? To assist with creating a safeguard for both of our realms by creating some sort of a network of travel? What would you have us do? Disconnect? To do the right thing. You already had portals. We've seen them. What? Why make Klika? Portals are fickle, and they can only operate in certain ways. But to create a thinking and living portal was something of a concept. And a thinking looks and living, very... but no feeling. No joy, no love. Just an object. Again, it was not our idea. If you have problems with this, you can speak with your mother and your father. My father might be dead. Clinkett doesn't even know. My mother... If, if her name is Belgrizid, has not been seen by anyone in a very long time. 
Her name is indeed Felgrised. And for all intents and purposes, she always seemed like a very kind individual. This decision was hers and the idea was hers. And whatever problems she had with the Tome Guard and why ever they canceled the project, perhaps it was the Tome Guard who had more heart. But in any case, I am sorry, says Lady Cresbella. She shows a genuine look to have hurt your feelings in this way, but this is why the only healing you can truly do is healing here. If you're to return home with the guilt of whatever you may do to those people, I can only imagine how much that would weigh on you. But your immortality and your beinghood is more akin to the people here, and it seems like you'd be better off learning how to operate as one of us than to continue pretending and a facsimile of life to be mortal. It's not your place, and it never was. Don't you tell Kleeka her place. I maybe, maybe it wasn't your idea. Maybe you simply went along with it, but Kleeka won't stay here. Kleeka knows where she belongs, and when, if Kleeka and her friends fail to stop the Herald, when your plane is separated from ours, when it collapses in on itself for having no reflection, for having a coin with no other side, Klinka would rather be home with her friends than here with you. And I imagine at this point, Kleeka feels a very strong sensation from her star overhead, even through the building, even through the palace, beginning to kind of pull at her as she feels an urge to return home following the star's guidance. Lady Cresbell kind of reaches a hand out, seeing what you're doing by doing another planar jump of sorts. And she leans in and she says, if you return home, the blood is on your hands for trying to twist fate to suit your needs and your desires. Anything that you do is your fault. I, alongside this council, clean my hands of anything that you do. We have no connections to the Tome Guard, nor to your dragon parents, nor to anybody else involved in this. This is your issue now. You can deal with your Herald of Steel, and you can deal with your issues. And if you choose to stay there and harm your friends, let them know all the deaths in their families that have brought them here, all the pain and trials and tribulations, it has been your fault because you chose to go back. They could have forgived you for the first mistake of being born. But to return, Clica Terelius, you are no immortal we wish to have back here. If that is your choice, so be it. Pray, I never lady, return. Yeah, lady, your words are hollow. So you say that Klika returns and brings about death, destruction, and disorder? Is that not the fate of mortal kind? How dare I'm glad you? glad you understand. How, how, how dare you? How, how dare you say that, the, that this is the way of things 
in one breath and then try to make us feel bad about the way we are with another. When it is your family that die in order to free you from obligations to stay home so that you may follow Click on her next quest, just remember that you said that here. I'm trying to save you your pain by protecting you from her. I'm doing you a favor as well as the others. I don't know what cost will be next and what fate will, what will, fate will weave for you, but I promise you it will not be pretty. Again, unlike unlike certain company, I will do whatever needs to be done. With that, Lord Bont kind of looks over to the others and says, I think this meeting is adjourned. And with that, Lady Cresbell looks down at Klika, and you see a single painted tear roll down her cheek as the planar gate is officially ready for Klika to leave. And with that, the four of them begin to walk away. Klika spurns this council. Klika will find the truth from the Tome Guard and perhaps her mother. But she will not return here. I just want to note is this happening? Anton is getting furiously more upset, and a ball of flame is starting to form in his hands. He's trying to control himself from doing something stupid. Piece of shit. I forgot about that. (laughs) Fucking hot Anton. Oh no. Quick, put him through the gate. Put him through the gate. But with that, throw a fireball at something. So no. (laughs) Throw it through the portal. It's just going to come shooting out of the sky at some random farmhouse. But with that, the council members, the council members all seem to trounce out of here in a lot less of an expedient form of what they had been before um, until the echoes of footsteps are the last things you hear before slurping into the star portal. Uh, Where would Klika like to direct this portal to? Hmm. Is Anton still there? You sure fucking hope so. But as the party slurp through, the words of the council members seem to echo through their heads. As Norhill thinks about all the dwarven lives that were lost. As Anton thinks about his tumultuous childhood and what could have been his own family if not brought him to Glory Wake. The raising of Glory Wake and all of that. And Jarzak thinks about his own exile and his own seeming like robbing of innocence as he was sort of, you know, played against himself by such an evil and vile being. Perhaps it is the case that Klika has wove all their fo- their fates together. And as the party arrive in Enton on a cool, crisp morning, they look at Klika again with different eyes and realize Klika may herself be immortal. And if she is immortal, perhaps she does pull fate and weave destiny in a way that harms each and every one of you for calling her friend. But to continue calling her friend and to continue alongside her is, I suppose, your decisions. But we'll figure out what happens next time. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter. Or you can even send me an email at youngbrognard 
gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.